encourage you to turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. So we're going to be spending our time there today, and we maybe we'll get into some in the book of Exodus, but primarily we'll be in the book of Hebrews. <coughs> it's a little cool this morning. Saw the frost out there and thought, do I need to put a coat on? I said, no, it's too much to tote. So, you know, when you've been a, when you've been a CT all your life, and now that CT stands for chief toter. Guys know what I'm talking about. You know, when you got kids and grandkids and a wife, you know, you become CT, chief toter. So I didn't want to tote it. Glad you're here this morning. We're going to uh, look, finish up Chapter 11 and start in Chapter 12, and we'll finish next week on Chapter 12, and then we'll start after that uh, talking about the reign of God. And my, my hope is that as we study about the reign of God, we really can understand a lot more about our Father and what our Father and how much He cares about us. So I, I hope that, uh, is, that if you want to be a part of that study, that you'll, it'd be something that will encourage you as I hope it will encourage me. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so very much. And Father, we're so thankful that you first loved us, that you sent your Son, that we might have an example of how much you really do love us, and that we can learn to love other people, and that we can be a people of grace and service and of love. And Father, we pray that you bless our study today, that we might understand how you want us so much to be saved and to be a part of your family, and to live with you eternally. Help us, Father, to have the faith to persevere, so that we too, when our day is done here on this earth, that we can have our home with you in heaven. This we ask and pray through Jesus. Amen. You know, as we've looked at chapter 11, we look at all the different people of history that the children of Israel would remember, and how that they were ordinary men and women, and God did extraordinary things with them, and that they were commended for their faith because they trusted what God said for them to do. You imagine as Abraham was told to get up and get out of the Ur of Chaldees, take his family and, and leave, and the rest of his life he would be a sojourner. He would never have a permanent dwelling. And that God told him that he would be a father of many nations. And he had no children. He had a barren wife. God told him that he would bless him, which he saw very quickly that God did bless him. And he saw that, uh, he said that whoever you bless, I will bless. And whoever you curse, I will curse. Then he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make your, your family as the stars of the heaven or the sands of the sea. Millions out of his lineage and then he said through your seed I'll bless all the world and we know that seed was Jesus so as as the people of faith gave these Jewish Christians that the Hebrew writer is writing to so that they wouldn't quit when the struggles came because they were going to be they were getting ready to go through some tough times and so he wanted them to know that you can make it. And we need to know that when times are tough and we worry about our faith, 
that we can make it. I've known many of God's people that because of the turmoils of life have given up, that have did, their faith wasn't what it once was. I know the young man that brought me to Christ, and I remember the enthusiasm that he had, but then years later I heard that he is divorced and he's not really active in the church, and it just broke my heart because I remember that zeal that he had, and it was because of that zeal that he had that I wanted to learn more and went on to school and got my degree in Bible so that I could learn a whole lot more about God because I saw that zeal and that zest in him. And I look and see how his life has turned out. And I don't know all the circumstances, but it just breaks my heart to think that he's not faithful anymore. I knew another guy that was in ministry and uh, he was a part of a congregation where I was preaching and, you know, they were, they were an occasional attenders. They knew they needed to be around God's people, but they just chose not to be because life was busy and life got in the way. So if we're going to persevere, if we're going to be the kind of people God wants us to be and that we know, we know, God says, these things I write unto you that you may know you have eternal life. God promises that. He wants us to have the assurance of that. And so the people of faith, as he says here in the last part of chapter 11, notice what he says. He says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Abraham did not see the great nation, nor the seed blessing. But he saw a son. There are a lot of these that we talked about. They didn't see all the things that were promised. But God's people are commended by their faith. God commends them because they, they had stick-to-itiveness in their life and persevered and didn't quit. They didn't turn away. And then he, as we looked at the very far, first part of chapter 11, that we don't live by sight, we live by faith. Because we know that God cannot lie and that God's promises are sure and steadfast. And if we will believe that and follow that, victory is ours. God's people always believe in the promises of God. Always believe in the promises of God. We think of the promises that were given to us, as he talked about here in chapter 11. God kept those promises. If you through, look at throughout all of history, when God started working with people, you always saw a righteous remnant. There was always a righteous remnant that stayed faithful to God, even though when it looked like the rest of the world was lost, there were still those that were faithful. And then... I would say faith is strengthened when people trust God's plan to redeem them. When we really understand what Jesus did at the cross, because those that went before us didn't see it, but we see it. We know what that final promise was that God made through Abraham, that all the seeds, through your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. When Jesus went and died on the cross and put our sins on that cross 
and paid the price for our iniquity. And when he came up out of the grave, and it says that he was raised by the power of the Spirit, and he was declared, he was declared to be the Son of God with power because he was resurrected. And so as Jesus came up and, sh and sh to show us that death is not the end, it's only a doorway, that we have something far greater and far more glorious before us because of what Jesus did for us. And so when we really understand what God's redemption plan is and we follow it and we adhere to it and we encourage others with it, it gives us strength because we trust in it. Now, the, the Hebrew writer now wants to culminate these people to give them some encouragement so that they don't quit. That they don't quit. You know, I'll, I'll say that there are times in our lives that there are sometimes there's brothers and sisters in Christ that we don't get along with as well as we should. The Bible tells us that we need to live with peace with all men as much as it lies within us. But we need to make every effort to live with, at peace with brothers and sisters. And so as they were struggling with what was going on, that whether they were going to stay with the law, whether angels were more important, was Moses more important than Jesus? Then remembering them in chapter 4 when he told them, he says, Look, you have an advocate with the Father. You have one that is sitting before the throne of God interceding for us as our high priest so that we can understand what we have. And so he tells them in chapter 12, he says, Therefore, therefore because of all of these people that went before us, because of what they did and how that God used them, and by faith, there's 23 times he says by faith in, the, in chapter 11. He wanted them to understand that it was by faith. It was by faith. And so it's by faith that we trust in God, and God will redeem us. He says, therefore, since we have, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, as, as he wants them to understand, you've got all these people that we've talked about, and you think about all your heritage and how they met, finished the course that God gave them to run. So, you know, many times we look at this, it really is kind of a picture of a, a stadium in, in, the, in the stands of all these witnesses cheering you on as you're doing the race that God set out for you. And they're saying, keep on keeping on. Don't quit. Don't quit. And we, we see these things in the Olympics where someone gets near the end and they fall and, or they're hurt and somebody will come along and pick them up and help them rest the way. We think, oh, that's so great. That's so nice. Well, see, God is saying, I've got all these witnesses out here telling you, don't quit. Don't quit. Stay the course. Finish the race. Keep running. Some days you may only walk. Some days you may feel like all you can do is crawl, but don't quit. Keep going. Run that course that God has set out for us. God 
does not. God does not want anyone to be lost. And the only people that are lost are those that choose to be. Let that sink in a minute. You think, well, wait, 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 wait. I know some really good people. You can't get to heaven on your goodness. God's people better, ought to be good. But you're not going to get there on goodness. And so God has set the course. He planned from the foundation of the world that he, how he was going to bring about salvation to mankind. And he says, those that will trust me will do that. And those that don't, won't. So, we, so as we're running this course and we hear this great cloud of witness saying, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And we think about people in our past. You think about Timothy and, and his grandmother and his mother, how that they encouraged him to do what he needed to do and, and how Paul encouraged him and others encouraged him so that he keep on. And Paul told him that he had finished the the course and he had a crown laid up for him as a result and so we need to remember those things that as we're trying to get through this race of of life that there are a lot of people cheering us on we're not alone we're not alone we sing a song where no one stands alone it's one of my favorite songs it's you know, all my life, I've never been alone. I, I wasn't even alone in the womb. I had a twin. So, I, and then there were so many of us kids. My mom had five kids in 50 months. I know. I don't know how she lived, made it, but she did. And she had three children for three years in cloth diapers that she washed every day with a ringer washer. But as, as, so I don't know what it's like to be alone. So as, and then I, I, when we were so many of us kids, we all had to share a bed. You couldn't sleep in a bed by yourself, you know, because there just wasn't enough room in our house. We were kind of poor. And uh, I was worried about my wife. She always had a bed of herself. So I wonder if she's going to be okay with having somebody in there with her. We got married, but I was used to it. It didn't bother me. But, you know, God doesn't want us to feel alone. He wants us to persevere and make it through. He wants us to know that we're so surrounded and there's such a great cheering crowd around us that we don't have to get discouraged. We don't have to quit. And then he, he says, look at who you need to keep your eyes fixed on. Now, Jesus is at the very front of the race. That's what he's really kind of giving us the picture. Is. So Jesus is out there at the front of the race. And so we want to know where we got to go. I know my granddaughter was running cross-country this fall, and they had a, uh, somebody go out on a four-wheeler in front of them so they knew where the course was. So they, and they had a big old red flag sticking up so people could see. Where, so if you got way back behind, you'd know where to keep going. But unless you kept watching what's in front of you, you'd get to where you're supposed to get to. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He says, here I am. Follow me. Keep your eyes fixed on me. Fixed on me. The Hebrew writer also talks about how that we have an anchor in heaven. We have an anchor in heaven. 
That anchor is where Jesus is. He is our anchor. And, you know, whenever they had trouble in storms and they wanted to secure the ship in those days, they would find a large rock that was they could put an anchor around so that the ship could stay safe and would not be tossed around by the, the life. So God is telling through Jesus as he's your anchor, and when life is tossing you about everything else, remember if you hang onto that anchor and you keep following that anchor, that anchor, and you get pull it in, is going to get you to heaven because that's where Jesus is. And so we need to always remember uh, what we need to do. And then he illustrates this to us how we should run the race. Notice what he says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Do you know you are the joy of Jesus? You are the joy of Jesus. The reason he endured the cross so that he could call many home. He endured it for you and me. And when we really think about what Jesus was willing to do because he loved us so much. But it, we were his joy so he could he would endure the cross. Notice what he goes on to say. Scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat there. He's sitting there as our high priest. Sitting there as our high priest. And when we sin, he, all he has to say is count it to the cross. Count it to the cross. I paid for that sin. I paid for that sin. Now, that doesn't mean we need to abound in sin, but when we realize what it cost him and that we are his joy, we need to make his life joy by being faithful people that win. Because look what happens when we do that. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you think of all what Jesus went through that night, it, it, it amazes me how sad, our, our, I know how heavy it must have been for him in the garden, knowing all the things were going to happen that night, the next day he was going to die. His disciples couldn't even wait and pray with him. They were too tired. They fell asleep. He asked them, please, please watch with me. And they couldn't. And they all forsook him that night. Peter denied him three times. He went before the two high priests in trial. They spat upon him. They beat him. He went before Pilate. And when the people began to yell, crucify him, he realized that the people had rejected him. 
you remember when he talks in the book of Matthew as he looked down over the city of Jerusalem with tears in his eyes, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If I could just gather you under like a hen does its chicks. Wants to protect him and care for him. But they reject him. He said he was willing to face all the sinfulness and all the shame of the world so that we could be saved. He says, fix your eyes on that man. Fix your eyes on him. He's running, and he'll help us complete the race as our high priest. He triumphed over sin, and he says, don't let, look what he said to him. He says, Consider them who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary, weary, that you'll give up, that you'll lose heart, that you say, I've had enough, I can't take any more, life is too hard, and lose heart. That your heart, the idea there is it becomes hardened. Your heart becomes hardened. What happened to Pharaoh when his heart was hardened? <laughs> he just got madder. He got madder at God. Each time he got his heart hardened more, he just got madder at God and God's people. And God finally destroyed him. So we need to remember what Jesus did for us. As we remember that, it'll help us to endure verses 4 through 13, he helps us understand that we're going to, as we're in this perseverance, as we persevere, that there's going to be difficulties that's going to occur in life. I think sometimes we miss this text here. You know, we get to down there and say, well, God disciplines those whom he loves. Well, we know that. We know that. It's interesting in Proverbs where it talks about that. All before that, he's talking about wisdom. And after that, he talks about wisdom. And the majority of that chapter is talking about wisdom. So a wise person, the proper writer is helping us understand is, a wise person understands that when there's difficulties in life, you don't give up. You figure out how to work through those difficulties and that you endure. You learn to endure. And I would say, uh, Martha, I know you recently had surgery. You had to learn to endure, didn't you? You had to learn to endure some pain. Otherwise, there would be no benefit from it. There is, in life, there's things that we have to learn to endure. And if we'll look at the struggles that we have in life as discipline to help us to grow stronger in our faith, and closer to God, it's easier to persevere. But the reason we want that or is designed to help us is designed to help us become holy. God said, be ye holy as I am holy. And without, it's, the Hebrew writer goes on to tell us, though, it says, in your struggles against sin, you have not yet 
resist to the point of shedding your blood, and you have not forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as a son, he says, my sons do not take light the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. And so because God's done that, then we learn that we've got to be a people that endure. That's why he says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters. He is not treating us God is not a spiteful God. One of the hardest concepts for mankind to understand, if they understand the concept of God, the hardest thing for them to understand is God doesn't want anyone to be lost. And that he's not saying, okay, we're going to have a great time here in heaven and all the rest of those people are going to be down there being punished. God doesn't want to punish anyone. But there are those that choose that they don't want to be with God. Sin cannot coexist with righteousness. God is righteous, and sin cannot coexist with it. That's why Jesus died on the cross for our sin to become righteous. And so that's the only way we can get there is because of what Jesus did for us. So discipline isn't pleasant. Sometimes it's going to be very difficult. Sometimes it's going to be very painful. But he tells us as a result of discipline, he says this, if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers discipline as for a little while as they thought best, but God's discipline is for our good that we may share in his holiness. God calls us to be holy. Because look what he says, no man, and, and I think in the King James or the American Standard it says, without sanctification no man will see God. So we've got to be able to realize that we, are, we have to share in it. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So God is trying to help us become a people that are righteous, a people that have peace. In Hebrews 5, one of my favorite texts in the Bible he talks about the things that we have because of what Jesus has done for us and one of the things that says there is that we are at peace with God God is not in conflict with us in any way because of the blood of Jesus think about that we are at peace we have peace with God And so as we see here, he says, therefore strengthen, strengthen your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Keep going. 
Don't let sin make you feeble and weak in your faith and disable you or cause you to not finish the race. That's what these were doing. That's what was happening to them in, in the Hebrew children he's writing to. The Hebrew Christians, they were becoming weak in their faith and some were not finishing the race. We need to remember that God loves us so much he wants us to finish, to finish the race. So we can be encouraged that God's going to be there to help us. Then he helps us understand how that we are a people that are far different because of what God's done for us and his promises. Notice in verse 17. Quit turning Bible wrong pages. Afterwards, if you've known where, when uh, we wanted to inherit blessings, he was rejected. I'm in, I'm sorry. I want 14. I'm. I need to put my glasses on. What I need to do? Can't see. I realize I can't see. Look, he says in verse 14, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. In other words, sanctification. That we're working, God is helping us to become holy through discipline, but through encouragement of others, realizing who we are following. We, we understand more about holiness and, and grace by studying God's word. It really encourages us but he says, make every effort to live in peace with all men, to be holy. God tells us not only we can, that we ought to be holy, but he tells us we can be holy. We can be holy people. And so it's in, and one of the problems that says, it says, see to that no one misses the grace of God and no bitter root grows up because of trouble and defile many. Now, the idea there is the, the word bitter uh, comes from the word analyze in the Greek. And so we can analyze that we, we're moving in the wrong direction. So don't let that happen. When you look at your life and you see things that are coming that you become distracted away from the race that God's given you to do. And it causes you to become sour in life God says don't let that happen because what it, all it will do all it will do is two things it does it causes you trouble it causes you trouble and what was they doing they were saying angels were greater than Jesus that was causing trouble people were worshiping angels not worshiping God they were saying that Moses was greater than Jesus because he's the one that gave the law. And so he says, no, that's not right. You've got to remember that God said, 
This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Not listen to the prophets. Elijah and Moses were there. He says to he said to his disciples, Don't listen to them. Yeah, you need to know what they said, but listen to what my son has to say to you. Because he has the words of life. And he encouraged them. So when they were becoming weary and, and turning away from all the things that God had encouraged them to and, and to give them the hope of salvation, he said, don't do that. Don't let that. And then don't let the things that you're teaching, the things that you're believing, the things that you're doing cause other people to lose their faith and to deny what, was, what God has so become defiled. He says, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. You know, I think it's really sad. And I, I put down here 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I, I'd encourage you to go back and read that text at some point in time. But Paul, when he's writing to the church at Corinth, if you remember in chapter 5, we had a, a fellow that was living immorally. He was, he was married to his stepmother. They said that, you know, that shouldn't be and you need to put him away. And, and then he talked about people that were engaging in uh, sexual immorality with prostitutes. And he, and he went on to talk about how, he says, don't you know that your body is the temple of God? The temple of God. He says, now, when you, when you engage in, in sexual relations with a prostitute, what you're saying is, come along, God, go with me. You're telling his spirit, come along with me. We're going to go do these things together. And he says, you should not do that because we've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. There is something about sexual immorality that does to a person that a lot of other sins don't do. But Paul was trying to help understand how terrible how terrible it is to tell God, come and participate with me in this wickedness. So we always need to remember that we are, our bodies are the temple of God. And when we are in the world, people see us as the people of God. And they look at us as how we treat ourselves and the things we do. There was a fellow that, that was... Uh, I went to church with that was supposedly really a, a devout man. And a guy came to me and told me about how he had a problem with him. I said, well, why is that? He goes, well, he was at work, and we were working, and a gentleman was playing his radio, and it was a little louder than what he wanted, the guy that went to church with this. And the result was that he just walked over and got the radio and threw it in a bucket of water and had it short out because he was so mad at the man for playing music and I thought well you know that's really a good example I wonder if he's ever invited that man to church or ever talked to him about Jesus I don't think he'd have much of an opportunity after that and so how we act and what we do is important and so here he's telling me he's telling me he says look avoid See that no one is sexually immoral because of what it does. 
because look what Esau was like. He was hungry, and he sold his birthright for a morsel of food. It wasn't important to him. It wasn't important to him. And so he said, I'd rather eat. I'd rather have temporal pleasure right now than to have something greater. Than to trust in the promises of God because they had heard their dad talk about the promises. He said, no. I want food. And so he goes on to say about He says, see that no one, and he says, like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. His father said, I've already given that blessing. I can't give it again. It's already been given. It's already been given. And so he said, he could bring no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. He wanted so badly to have the right that God gave him, or that he, wanted, that he was entitled to since he was the oldest son. But he settled for the temporal rather than the other. And so... What the Hebrew writer is saying here is, remember, remember how Esau missed his blessings? The blessings that were promised to him? Because he told, remember, as his father told Isaac, told Jacob that you'll be blessed, and those that bless you will be, be blessed, and that God's going to accomplish things through you. And as a result, he was the one that had the blessing in life. And then we see later on in how that Esau and, and his brother fought. Their heritage fought for years and years and in conflict. They're still in conflict today because of, of the way they went. But God says, don't miss the blessings. Don't miss what God has got out there for you because of settling for the temporal, settling for now rather than what's coming. So we've got to keep the poison of wishing for now, or temporal, things that please us today for what we're going to have tomorrow. You know, missing out on God's grace has got to be one of the saddest things that could happen. I hope, I, I know we look at the Lazarus and the rich man and how that Lazarus wants someone to come quench his tongue just a drip of water and how in anguish he is and the the poor man is being taken care of and how they, there's probably more anguish in knowing that I could have and should have done the right thing in life rather than waiting the end of life and say can I change now when it's too late and so we have an opportunity to encourage people to not give up to not quit 
So I'd encourage you. I want to I I challenge you something. Think of somebody that you know that's a part of the body of Christ that seems to have become weak or weary or seems to be given up. Give them a call. Write them a note. Do something to encourage them. Because you see right now, we're part of that big cloud of witnesses. We're in the stands with them saying, keep going. Make it. Finish the course that God set out for you. Ephesians 2.10 tells us we were created for his workmanship. Well, I mean, we've got stuff to do. We're created to do that. We need to be busy. And so I'd encourage you this week as you see somebody or think of somebody, you know, let's make our Christianity practical. And that if we know that people need help, we give them help. If we know people need to be encouraged, we give them encouragement. Because he told us to live at peace with men as much as possible. And he tells them here that they need to be at peace with each other. Let's read, let's read chapter 12, verses 18 through 28. I don't think we're going to have time to get into this text, but I just want to set up for for next week and we'll finish up next week and uh, this is probably a, just a, a phenomenal text that what the Hebrew writer is telling these people and it brings them back to a lot of remembrance of their heritage but notice what he says you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and is burning with fire to darkness gloom and storm to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words so that those that heard it beg that no further word be spoken to them, because you could not bear what was commanded. Even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the right for spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood and speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, this, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the moving of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, we'll, I'd encourage you to read Exodus 19 and 20 before next week, because as you read through those texts, you're going to see how the children of Israel were reacting to God on the Mount Sinai. Well, look at Mount Sinai. The very... One thing I want to remember as you read that text, keep this in mind. The one thing that God was trying to accomplish in the children of Israel, he knew they weren't going to do it. He knew they were going to struggle. 
but he did not want them to have idols. The reason he came down on the mountain was to instill on them that he is God and that they should not worship anything else other than God. So when you read through those texts, notice the emphasis that God is making to them and wants them to remember that he is the only one that deserves worship. And we need to remember that too, that God is the only one that deserves worship. And so we'll look at that next week. And I think it's very encouraging because he tells us we're part of a a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So we'll finish there today. Appreciate your attention. And uh, if you'll look through those for next week, we'll finish up the chapter.